0: Tonight we have a special guest speaker. Tonight, um, I, uh, I, I'm getting ready for. I was going to go to California this week, uh, and I decided not to. And uh, I thought to myself, you know, do I want to start this series, or do I, I want to take the the opportunity to have a guest come in? So I was praying about who I was going to ask. And I've been meeting the pastor. Um, I had a lunch with him a couple times. Met him through um, one of our uh, church family here, and i just kind of picking his brain and getting to know what he's doing and the exciting things going on in Connection Church Pooler. You ever heard of Connection Church and Pooler? Great, great ministry. Um, but um, I just picking his brain and talking, I don't think he he's a very humble man. Um, I can tell you he is not looking for a, for a pulpit even. He, he is a man that he just wants to do what God has called him to do. And even tonight, um, I went back there to bother him a little bit when he was getting ready for his message and I caught him just on his knees praying and uh, it's not it's not too often you see men of integrity who pray without a group that they are just in the presence of god by themselves and the more i get to know him the more respect i have for him and i know he's going to bring an amazing word tonight so relentless if we could just welcome this man uh, pastor michael page from connection church pooler let's welcome him come on
1: that up, man. That's a lot of kind words, man. I appreciate that. Um, as Kyle said, my name is Michael Page. I, um, I pastor at church in Pooler. Uh, and we're actually in Garden City now, so we can kind of, we're kind of like transient, I guess. We're in Pooler, Savannah, Garden City. Next month we might be somewhere else, so just kind of keep your eyes open for that. So you uh, we never, we never know. Uh, but it, it truly has been an honor to, uh, to really get to know your pastor and hear his heart for our city, uh, to hear his heart for you guys, and to hear his heart for what um, his, his vision is for this place. And I want to tell you right now that it's a big vision. It's something that can't be done with half-hearted investment. And I want to tell you right now tonight, it's an honor to be here. And um, and I want to go ahead and give you a, just a little bit of a um, heads up. I'm going to use a lot of vocabulary words because I'm, I mean I'm a little. They're small words, but they're you know they're 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 important to know. And I'm going to use the word church a lot. Okay. And anytime I say the word church, I'm not talking about this church. I'm not talking about my church. I'm talking about the Big C Church, our church. Um, one thing I realized recently as I was reading through Acts is. Um, I, I was I was reading about Paul and I was reading about Peter and Barnabas and Timothy and Titus and saw all these guys, and I and I, re- I realized that, you know, I, for so long I've been looking up at these guys as like all-stars, you know what I mean? Now, these guys, I can never do what Paul did. I mean, I, I can never do what Peter did, but I, I started realizing that you know, one day when I get to heaven, I want to talk to this guy. I want to I go pick his brain and, and figure out how it was in the beginning and see what he did and, and how he did this and this and this, but I feel like God put something in my heart as I was thinking, and I said, you know, what? I feel like when those days when those days comes we see Christ and we, we're there worshiping him forever and ever and ever those guys are going to come talk to us and see what it was like in the end whenever the church came to, to fulfillment to see Christ come alive in the church and so we're the same church as Paul and Peter and let's come alive in that and, I, and I, what I know is I believe that God wants to do and is about to do something incredible in this city I believe that that's why I moved my family here because I believe God was calling us here to do something for Him in that way. Um, this area, this church, the churches around this place—I've never seen. I, I've never seen what I feel like He's going to do, and that's the kind of—that's that, where I want to begin tonight. And um, the, the other day I was—I was having lunch with, with Kyle, and, and um, you know he was asking me, you know, what, what is something that church lacks today? Um, and and my, my first thought went to discipleship, and then my, ne- my next thought went to uh, gospel literacy, understanding the gospel. And tonight, I'm not going to have some epiphany for you tonight. I know I have something where you're going to take home. That was a great, that's a new word. Because there's not many of those because this is the final word of God here. And I want to tell you right now, tonight we're going to talk about the gospel in a way I hope that it comes alive to you. And like our brother said, it came up says, what are you doing for the kingdom tonight? What are you doing for the kingdom in your life? How are you using the gifts that God's put in your life? What are you doing? How are you walking those things out? How are you putting them into practice? And I'm hoping tonight that we hear something that, that will ignite something in our heart that will put put A and B together and we will start walking it out because Christ didn't die on the cross so we could come sit in a cushioned seat and worship God everywhere. he come so we could be the hands and the feet of the, to the people out there to be Christ to him. And so my question is this, God wants to do something, but is the church ready? Has the church prepared himself? Like Kyle just mentioned, how are, we, how are we using the gifts that God's given us? How are we using our time and our treasure and our talent that God's put in our place to, to go and to do? This week, I've, as I prayed in what directions that the Lord was, was wanting me to go, tonight I really feel like God putting on my heart that the church will never step into our purpose as a Big C church and our calling, and our spiritual sweet spot, as I like to talk about a lot, until we have an assurance in the gospel being complete and then and, and a security in what Christ has done on the cross for me, until we have an assurance of that. Because the reason why so many people in the church, I feel like you're still grasping for straws, I, I've, I've screwed up, I've got I've to ask for forgiveness 17 times, is because we don't believe what Christ has done is enough. We think there's more to be done and that he completed it all. Romans 1, Romans 1 says the gospel is the power for salvation. And if it's for the if it's for the power of salvation, it's also for the power of sanctification. And in the future, it's going to be the power of glorification. The gospel is everything you need for life. Everything. It's the power. And that means tonight, as we're looking at through scripture, one of my favorite verses in 2 Corinthians 5:17 says. Anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so my question for you tonight, believer, in this room, and I'm, and I'm not saying everyone here tonight may be a believer. Maybe you may not be in that place tonight. But I hope before you leave you will be. But my question tonight, believer, Christian in this room, are you living as a new man, as a new creature? Or are you still stuck in the old life? It's time to come alive. That's what the world is looking to see. And so I'm praying. I'm praying. I'm praying. As I was praying this week, I felt strongly that I was supposed to talk about this gospel literacy thing tonight, and understanding the gospel and, and, and finding the security that's found in the gospel. And I believe that God desires for us to be secure in that. Like that, so many people are insecure that to have the the assurance of our salvation. My wife and I, beautiful lady on the front row. She, we just had twins, eight or nine months old. Yeah, it's awesome. So we didn't just have twins, I didn't have them, she had them. But but I would never for as long as I live want them to wonder if I love them. Anybody has kids in here, you know what I'm talking about. You don't want them to know like do they does my dad love me? I never want them to ask that question ever. I will I will go to the ends of the earth to make sure they know that I love them. And I'll do anything that's the Father, that's the love of the Father he has for us. He never wants you to wonder if he loves you or if you're saved if you are. And let me tell you, until we have that assurance, we're never gonna be able to walk out into freedom and, and, and walking in our kingdom purpose like God desires for us for his sons and for his daughters until we are assured of our Father's love for us. Just like he wants us to be assured that we're saved, I believe in this house and in all the houses across this place, this city, that God is calling out those who aren't saved. And we're meant to be calling those out who who are, who don't know Christ. And, And we need to tell them that Jesus loves them, that he wants to have a relationship with them because he's put something inside of them that he wants to bring out to see his kingdom come in this place. And it can't be done apart from him. So tonight, we're going to be looking at 1 John um, mainly. There's a couple other verses we're going to look at, um, but 1 John 5, 13 is going to be kind of our main verse. In 1 John, the big theme in 1 John is assurance, assurance. Having an assurance of our salvation, John wanted the people in in, in, in that place to know they were saved. There was this, this is where the people were at in this book of First John, and they they were being influenced by a group of teachers, false teachers called the Gnostics. If you don't know anything about the Gnostics, they were coming in the church and they were pre, they were they were they were putting a, a seed in the church that was false. They were saying that, the, that Jesus was only the Christ from the time he went on the cross until the time he was raised from the dead. He was not deity from the time of birth to this time of resurrection. And they, were, they were just throwing that false doctrine in there, and it was causing all kinds of arguments and, and disagreements. But John was affirming to the church that it, it, what you know, what I've taught you, what you've heard from the beginning is true. What, what you, he said, look in your heart. You know what you believe is true. You know what you, in your heart is true. You see the fruit in your life. You have assurance in your faith. And he was encouraging them to rest To rest in the finished work of Jesus, the gospel. And so many people in the church even aren't resting in the the gospel, in the finished work of the gospel. We're working so hard trying to work our way back to Christ. And it's finished. There's multiple times in 1 John, you can read it for yourself, it says, this is how you know. This is how you know you're in him. This is how you know you're in him. This is how you know you're in him. Over and over and over again he says it. And any time in Scripture you see those words, circle it, underline it, box it off, highlight it, lipstick it, whatever you got in your hands, just figure it out and just make sure you see those things. This is how you know. John's saying, pay attention because you need to know this stuff because you have been raised together with Christ to do great things for the kingdom. And in 1 John 5, 13, it says this. Um, He's wrapping up the entire book. Basically what he's saying, everything you've heard me write, is wrapped up into this sentence. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, well, why? So that you may know that you have eternal life. Know that you have eternal life. Not you might, or not, you know, you, 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 not be a little bit sure, but to know. And some questions I want to ask you tonight and to deal with, I want to flush some of these things out, is how do you know that you know God? You know? How, how do you know, individually, me and you tonight, how do you know that you know God? How do you know that, that He loves you? Well, He told me. Jesus loves me, this I know, the Bible tells How do you know that Jesus loves you? How do you know that you're going to spend eternity with Him? How do you know those things? How do you know that, that what you believe is, is stuck in your heart and yet it's coming out? How do you know that Jesus died for you? How do you know these things? I want to walk through these questions tonight. And these questions aren't meant to cause any doubts in your mind. We're meant to have an assurance of who we are in Christ. But the reason I'm asking this thing is because so many people who call themselves Christians in the church today have a hard time articulating why they believe what they believe and if they're really saved. You know what I mean? And I, so the, the church, the world outside the doors of this church and outside the doors of our church and outside the doors of the big C church is tired of hearing Christianese answers. They're tired of hearing the, the answers that you would give in Sunday school. They want to hear real life change has happened in your heart through the Son of God raising from the dead and the Holy Spirit living inside of you, working himself out of you. That's what they want to hear. That's what they need to hear from you. And that's what changes lives. Me saying, oh, come to church and hear my pastor preach. That don't change lives. That's not evangelism either. We're called to go and teach and, and to love those people. The world is tired of those things. The world is waiting for the citizens of God's kingdom to come alive. The way they were called to come alive. We sang a song a second ago. I wrote down the lyrics. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't being uh, disrespectful when I was sitting down, I promise. But it says this. It says, what you whisper in my ear, let it find room in my heart. Those are big words, man. Like a garden, let your words begin to grow. And as we're, as we're thinking through Scripture and as we're walking through this tonight, let the Word of God penetrate your heart. Where Tear the walls down because you can do that. Rip them down remove them, remove them in Jesus' name. These questions I'll ask you just a second ago, they're, they're meant to evaluate, for you to evaluate, kind of a self-evaluation. Evaluating where you are in Christ is always good, right? You always need to say, hey, God, where am I at right now? Show me where I am and show me where you want me to be. Show me the difference in the world. What's the distance in that place? Let me find that place out. I believe until you have a firm answer to some of these questions in your heart that you won't be able to fully walk out the plans and the purposes that God's created you individually for. Because you'll be consistently wondering. And that's one of Satan's most deadly weapons in the life of any believer. And if 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 you don't know yet, you have an enemy, an adversary that's out to get you if you're a follower of Christ. One of his biggest weapons in the life of a believer is fear and doubt. Did, did God really say that? Did he really do that? Did God really heal that person? Did God really, did God really, did God really? Did God really, did God really? Whenever he met Jesus in, in the, in, when he was in the desert, what did he say? If you are the son of God, doubt, doubt, doubt. And all of our hearts are in that same place. Starting today, I believe with all of our hearts that God has unusually big plans for this body, for you. I believe with all my heart that he hasn't started something here that he don't want to finish in a big way. I think the impact for this body to be in the the city of Savannah and the way that it is and the strategic way that you've been placed here is is amazing. And Satan wants to destroy it and God wants to see it come alive. And what I love when Satan starts lying, all he does is lie. He he lies to you constantly. And what I love about it, Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite pastors back in the day, he he said this. He says, when the devil opens his mouth to slander, it gives me the opportunity to ram the sword of truth down his throat. I like that a lot. And so that's where it's at. And so I guess the overarching question I want you to hear tonight is that, you know, we need to get out of the way in this is that that does God really want us to know that he loves us? The answer is yes. Yes. He loves us, and when you love somebody, you want them to know. I want my wife to know I love her. I want my baby girl, my baby boy to know I love them. As soon as they can understand the word love, I want to tell it to them a million times a day because I love them. I love them. And the the only way that we'll ever develop real love for him is when we are sure that he loves us. And I heard a pastor one time, I I can't remember who it was, but I remember the, the quote. It says, real love only grows in the soil of security. Real love only grows in the soil of security. And it's so true if you think about it, when you make someone behave by threatening them, you can, you can get some behavior out of them, but you can never get their heart, right? And what and that's what God is after. He's after our heart. That's why he sent Jesus. But here's the real problem that I'm seeing, man, is that I read I read a recent study not too long ago of, of 52% of the American of, of the American culture say they've prayed some prayed some version of a sinner's prayer. I was like, that's kind, of a, that's kind of a big number, I would think. You know, 52%, you know, they've prayed some sort of, of prayer. And they, and, but although half of those people have no regular presence in any sort of church or have any kind of lifestyle or, or worldviews that would match up to the church. But when, when those people hear that you need Jesus, when you go into our culture, into Savannah, Georgia, and you say, hey, you need, you need Christ, you need Jesus, you need Jesus in your life, you need the Lord, He loves you. Well, they'll say, I, I prayed a prayer, I'm good, I got baptized, I'm good, right? That's, that's, that's the litmus test of a Christian these days. I've got baptized, and I've gotten saved, and I, I'm good. I prayed a prayer. But the church has done a really bad job at creating disciples. We love making con- converts. Somebody will raise their hand, or they'll come down to the altar, we'll pray for them, we'll baptize them, then what? You know what I mean? We need to be discipling these people. Matthew 7, this is a terrifying verse. You know the most scary verse in all the scripture? This is the one. And Thank you for having me at your church. All right. Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23 says this. Jesus is saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and did we not prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, perform miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And if you want to go to that translation, evildoers is distorters of the gospel, arrogant, prideful. Most of these people that in this, these three verses pray to prayer. Most of these people in these three verses went to church. Most of these three people in these verses gave on Sunday. They, gave, they, they went on mission trips. They did, they, they did all the things that you were supposed to do to be a Christian, right? They understood that to get to Christ, I had to do a few things to make sure that he, he was going to love me and, and make sure that he was going to accept me into his kingdom. And what I've learned about this is this right here is they didn't understand the gospel they they understood the things it took to to do the things that would would you know but they didn't understand the gospel what the gospel was and they didn't, they didn't understand that it was about a relationship with Jesus and with the Father and to, to, to do what he's calling us to do through through the promptings of the Holy Spirit and through the leading of his word and this is this is the American church in large part though this is the American church in large part. We, we have a prayer we pray together. We do the things we think that, that God requires for salvation, all while ignoring the commands that he gives us in Scripture. The church is by large in America biblically illiterate. We take the pastor's word for it way too often. And I'll tell you right now that your pastor doesn't want you to take his word for it. I can tell you right now he wants you to read Scripture for yourself. And get a a humble knowledge for yourself. And that's why the word says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. It doesn't say, obey my commands and then I'll love you. It says, if you love me, a a, a definition of that is going to be you obeying my commands. To obey his commands, you have to know his commands. And his commands are right here. They start right here. They begin right here in Genesis and go through Revelation. And honestly, the greatest fear that I have as a pastor, and probably Kyle as well, is the thought of people that that I lead being in this group. That that, uh, makes me nauseous to think about that because Jesus is describing church people like like us, people who were around the gospel all the time. They could quote John 3.16. They know Scripture They never responded, though, and never received it for themselves and received God's love for themselves. And my goal is not to scare anybody in this place tonight or cause anyone to fear God in that way tonight because he loves you. But there are several things that church people often use to assure themselves of their salvation that are not at all legitimate. I prayed a prayer. Well, so what? Um, I did all the things that I'm supposed to do, religious things. Guys, these people on Matthew 7, they were very active in their church. They were serving on the praise team. they were serving back in kids. They were doing these things. They knew the verses. They, they, they were active in the prayer ministry. Do you see they were casting out demons? They were in the prayer ministry. Wow. That blows my mind. But people sometimes use the fact that they're moral, I'm good, I'm, I'm better than this guy, or, um, you know, I, or I feel guilty about my sins to, 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 to say, hey, I'm saved because I feel guilty. Well, I want to tell you right now, there's a whole industry of therapists and psychiatrists that get their paycheck because people feel guilty about some sins. That, that, that doesn't mean you're saved, right? It's, it's important to understand that, and these people in Matthew 7 were moral people who I'm sure felt guilty about their sins, but understanding that is, is understanding that, that that doesn't matter. Because you can express repentance. It means to agree with God. menanoia is what it means in the Greek. You can agree with God and turn from your ways. You can express that in faith and prayer. But it doesn't have to be in a prayer. Does that make sense? It's repentance and belief behind the prayer that provides us salvation. We have to know that. And when people ask you, when people ask me as a church, as the body of believers, as the body of Christ, are we truly in Christ? I want to encourage you to never point them to a prayer that they have to pray, or an aisle that was, that you need to say a, a knee that was bent before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and say, Jesus changed my life. Jesus captured my heart and changed my life completely. He moved in my life, because the biblical grounds for assurance, if you look in Scripture in John 15 and other places, is a continued walk with Christ. It means I get knocked down, but I get up again. It means I get knocked down, but I get up again. It means I get knocked down. I'm not going to sing the song, but you get going. You keep going. You keep going. You keep going. You keep moving closer to Christ. John, First John calls it an, an abiding. Abiding means I live there. I live in God's presence. I may fall. I may fall. I may fall, but I'm getting right back up and looking to Christ. I'm repenting, and I'm moving forward. That's what it looks like. And I pray right now that we would understand that it's about denying ourselves and getting, getting right with him, not pursuing comfort. It's bearing my cross. And it's it's bearing the fruit that God loves and God has, the fruits of the Spirit, staying in a place of repentance. Charles Spurgeon, again, I I love this guy. He said, if any man is not sure that he is in Christ, he ought not to be easy at any moment until he is sure. At any moment, he should not be easy until he is sure. Dear friend, without the fullest confidence as of your saved condition, you have no right to be at ease. And I pray you may never be so. This is a matter too important to be left undecided. We need to understand the gospel. We need to understand who we are in Christ. And we need to live in that and stop trying to play catch up. Because if he saved you, he saved you completely. There's nothing left to do. Justification is complete. So today I think it's only right that we start in that place. At the root of the gospel is a very important fact about our identity in Christ. About who we are in Christ and what happens in the moment of salvation as our identity shifts from the world to Christ, to a new to a new creature in Christ, Second Corinthians five seventeen. I said that a minute ago. It's this. It's very simple. It's one phrase. Every single person in this room has the opportunity to receive Christ. It's you are saved from sin, and you are saved for a purpose. You are saved to a purpose. You are saved from sin, and you are saved to a purpose. You say, Michael, that's elementary. They learned that back in the kids. You know what? They do. But it's so important that you guys in this room go back to the gospel. And we never grow by moving past the gospel. We only grow by going deeper into the gospel, learning more about it, going deeper and deeper and deeper in. And these two things, they can never be separated. Understanding that our, we've been saved from sin, but we've also been saved for something else. Because if I've just been saved from sin and I just become stagnant in my faith, I need to question if I've been saved. Because my salvation is going to push me into action into the kingdom. The the salvation that I've experienced in my heart is going to move me into the kingdom action. It's going to. It's it's like inevitable. And until we understand what you've been saved from, the the good news is not going to matter. Because until we understand the bad news, the good news isn't that sweet. Can we agree with that? Are we good? Are we good? Are we awake? Do we need to speak up? Okay, apparently not. Okay, we're good. So do we understand sin? Do you understand sin tonight? Now, this is not like, people don't like talking about this. Churches don't talk about sin. This, you might, you probably do. But we don't like talking about it because it's, it kind of, it digs into to some things that are uncomfortable for us. You know what I mean? But we have to understand it. But if we don't come face to face with this reality of who we were before Christ and who we are without Christ, we can never appreciate who we are in Christ and what Christ has done to save us on the cross for, from our sins will never understand the, the beauty of the gospel or, the, or, the, or, the, or the, 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 just the amazingness of what grace is. Because if you haven't experienced grace, you haven't experienced anything. Grace, understanding grace cannot be understood fully without understanding sin. And it's understand, we're going to talk about the bad news really quick, and then we're going to talk about the good news. Is that good? Okay, good. All right, so turn to Romans 1. Here we go. I'm getting serious here. If you know your Bible, you're like, what the heck, bro? You're a guest. can we be talking about this stuff. All right. So verse 18. We're going to look at verse 18 to 23 first, then we'll skip over to 28 to 32. It says this. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness, godlessness, and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what has been known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. God has made it plain to the world who he is. He's made it plain. The reason why people don't believe it is because they don't want to believe it. He's made it plain. Verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they, never, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being in birds and animals and reptiles. Skip over to verse 28. It says, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to the deprived mind so that they do all not to what to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They were all full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Sounds like our culture. They dismay their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decrees, that those who do such things deserve death, they do not only continue to do these things, but they also approve of those who practice them. I'm not sure if you've read this the right way before, but if you look in there, I've seen pretty much every one of these things, except a few that I've done, and I've only been one decision away from committing the other ones. I'm guilty of all these things. Because I'm guilty of one, I'm guilty of them all. Sin has is, sin is entered in my, in my life when I was born. Without Christ, I, I, I'm, I'm worthy of nothing but death. Without Christ, I'm worthy of nothing but dying a, a, a brutal death. We we've ignored God as a culture. We we desire control. Who desires to be in control? Two people? Well, you are better than I am. Y'all need to disciple me, please. I'm coming to this church. Hey, we desire to be in control. We desire we desire God's throne. We want to be in charge. I, God, you know what? Your, your your ways are good, but I want to be in charge. I want to make my decisions. I don't want you to make my decisions for me. We worship idols. like we. It's easy to worship God on Sunday mornings or or Saturday nights, in this case, whenever you have an awesome worship band and you have great lights and different things. It's wonderful to worship God in those moments, but what are you doing in your prayer closet? Where are you at with God in those moments? Is it harder in those moments to worship God? Listen, we've suppressed the glory of God in our hearts because he demands we die to ourselves. That's terrifying. Like, that's why we, it's so easy for us to push him aside. And since God loves us so much, he gave us free will. He says, Michael, you know what? The way to life is through me, but I'm going to give you a choice. That's true love. And he gave, well, the things that he gave us is the things that we wanted, and what we wanted, it killed us. It, it, it destroyed humanity's soul because it removed us from God's presence, the, the source of life. Ephesians 2. We'll read the first part of this, and we'll come back to it in a second. Ephesians 2, verse 1, we'll start there, says, uh, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who were disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And you're like, Michael, this is like too heavy, this is too heavy, this is not good to hear, this is hard, it's hard for me to preach, it's hard for me to hear. By nature, without Christ, we deserve death. Can we agree with that? That's that's terrifying, man. Our turning away from God, our sin, our failure to put God in his proper place has spiritually killed us. It didn't demolish us, I mean, excuse me, it didn't demote us, excuse me, it didn't demote us, it didn't. Bump us down a position where we were on God's varsity, but now we're on God's JV team. that's not what it did. That's not what happened. Sin killed us. Sin destroyed us. And I hear some pastors say, God threw a, a life raft out into the water and he pulled me in. No, you were dead in the water, face down, lip, blue lips, you were dead in your sin. But Christ breathed new life in your body and raised you from that pit. That's where it's at. We were dead in our sins, and we are dead in our sins. If you don't know Christ tonight, you are still dead in your sins until you trust Christ to save you. Until you trust Him, Jesus didn't come to die for uh, to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. That's what it's about, and that's what we need to hear tonight. And so, and so the word, so that word, save. You've, if you've grew up in a church, I was I'm a recovering Baptist, and listen, um, I I was raised in church from the time I was seven days old. And I heard the word, are you saved, are you saved, are you saved, 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 saved. And sometimes you hear something so many times it becomes like, I don't know what that means anymore, right? It it loses its meaning. But the word save is such a great word because it means to preserve from dying. He brought us back. He saved us from the pit. And we'll go back to Ephesians 2 in a second, so keep your finger there for a minute. I told you we're going to be in 1 John, so I'm going to flip there. I know I I love the word, so I'm not going to apologize for that, but we'll read some more. Okay, it's First uh, John 2, 1 through 2. I want you to look, and if we have any lawyers in here or anything like that? No? Anybody that works in in lawyer? You're a lawyer? Come up here. I'm just kidding. Um, so, I want to talk about what the gospel means legally. Legally. Uh, have you, anybody, I don't want to ask that question. Legally. It, there's two words that stick out in this scripture that I want, to, I want you to underline or I want you to remember legally what this means. This is what John's saying. Dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. There's a period there. That's that's a big big sentence. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And there's two words there. One is atoning sacrifice, and one is advocate. And there's a different word that some, some version used for atoning sacrifice. It's a big word. It's a theological word. It's called propitiation. I just lost some of you. Propitiation. That's what it's called, but it's a legal term. Propitiation. What it means is the word propitiation means that a charge has been brought against you. It has been satisfied. That charge has been satisfied completely. Literally, the wrath has been absorbed. A, a debt has been paid fully satisfied. An example of this is I can give you an example. I was in public's parking lot in, in Puller f- a few weeks ago. And I've never been in a wreck in my entire life that I caused, but I was backing up, and I hit a, a lady. I was like, what is happening right now? I'm in the twilight zone. I've never been in a wreck in my life. And so, by law, I owe her money, right? I had to pay her money because it was my fault that I ran into her car and I did in her door. I, I owe her something right now, right? And so that's what it looks like. You, something you do, you, 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 you uh, raise charges against yourself by the things that you've done. And when you pay that money, when I pay her back, that person, that lady has been propitiated. It's been satisfied. No more. No more debt. It's been fully satisfied. And what Jesus did, Jesus propitiated the righteous wrath of God against your sin on the cross. He, he took it all. He propitiated it all. It's done. And think about the wrath of God for a second. I know you can't really wrap your mind or human mind around it, but you go to some of these books like Isaiah and Ezekiel, Jeremiah, you can read some of the terrifying Words and that you can go back to Exodus and see where God like swaddled up people who were sinning. It's just nuts, man. But let me tell you right now, you and your sin without Christ, you and your sin without Christ, the best way I can think of it right now is like a tissue paper being dropped on the, on the surface of the sun. Nothing. Without Christ, that's what it's like. In the, in the presence of God, in your sin, you have no chance. With Christ, you have eternal life. With Christ, your sins are forgiven. With Christ, you can come into His presence boldly, is what Hebrews says. You need Jesus in that moment. We need Jesus in that moment. We need to be able to articulate this to the world that doesn't know Jesus. We need to be able to speak words of life to people that don't know Jesus other than Jesus loves you. Because Jesus does love them, but we, they need more guidance. We need to be able to give them the gospel in a way they understand and the way that we can lead them to a place of freedom. 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 Because that's what people are looking for, but too many people in the church are still bound. It's time to give the world freedom. And that's why the gospel is so awesome. Because he loved you, he made a way. I don't understand the games the church plays sometimes. He's he's made a way, man. What else is there to to worry about? On the cross, every ounce of penalty was absorbed for us. The next word is advocate. You can just say lawyer. An advocate is a legal term. It's referring to someone that's standing before a judge to, to, to argue your case. To say, look, this man's innocent. Or this man, you need to give him some mercy. He he messed up big time. Don't kill him. Give him a life sentence. He's he's an advocate for you. And what this is saying, if you're a disciple, there's there's a difference in a disciple. If you're a disciple of Christ, if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, Jesus is your advocate before the Father. Is that not good news? That's good news. He's He's before the Father advocating for you. But my question is this. I, this is why it's so important to be Bible literate, gospel literate. What's he arguing? What's he arguing in your case? We just talked about that, you know, you're not, there, you have no worthiness without him. You're not, you're not innocent. You're, you're guilty. So what's he doing? The Bible says in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there, there's, no, there's no room for you to be standing before God in any sense without Christ. So what he's doing is he's arguing his propitiation. He's arguing that his work on behalf of me and behalf of you, if you're in Christ, is on him. He's saying, Father, you can't hold Michael's sin against him anymore. I suffer the full penalty for his sin. There's no charge against him. My righteousness is on him. That's beautiful. That's why I sing. That's why I love Jesus. That's why I'll follow him until I die. And that's why I'll continue to abide in his presence and love him forever. Because I used to have this idea when I was a child, when I was a kid in that old Baptist church in Brooklyn, Georgia, man. My dad was got saved when I was eight years old because my dad said, you know, kind of pushed me down the aisle a little bit. You know, that's where I was kind of, that's my definition of coming to Christ in that moment. But I used to think about God standing before the Father on my behalf, arguing leniency. Like, don't send him to hell. Don't, th- th- don't do this. Don't. But that's not what was happening because that terrified me. But deep down, I'd always wonder, you know, would I would reach the end of God's patience? I would sin for the 593rd time, and God would say to me, that's it. I've had enough. That's the last sin. That's the final straw. That's over. But that's not how it works. This is where I got it wrong. Because Jesus doesn't appeal to God for mercy on my behalf. He appeals for justice. Because God is just. He's just. He had satisfied all the charges against me. And now the father, he says to the father, like, father, I paid the full price. I took the penalty due to Michael so that he could have the credit that was due to me. And it's only right that he not be held accountable for this. You can notice in 1 John, one chapter over, 1 John 1, 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us sin, forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say he's merciful and kind, although he is. It says he's faithful and just. God forgives our sins not because he's lenient, but because he's just. But because God is just, he couldn't demand two penalties for the same sin. No double jeopardy here. It's wonderful. The good news of the gospel right here. That gives me a lot of security before the Father. That makes me stop working for my salvation because I know it's complete. It's done. No more, no more, no more work on my part left to do. The only thing that I'm supposed to do from here on out is do everything he says do and go everywhere he says go and follow him to the end of my life. We die to ourselves and we come alive in him because of what he's done, not because of anything that we have done or we will do or or any of that. And this is why we can rest in that security and that, that assurance that we talk about, the assurance of your salvation if we're saved because of nothing we have done and depends on totally all on what he's done. And this is the reason why so many people in the church are stagnant because they are insecure in their position in Christ. They're insecure in their position in Christ because they still believe it's about them. They still believe they have one more thing to do. And listen, it's not just the Pharisees, it's not just the Sadducees, it's not just the Catholic Church, it's not just me and you. It, listen, for the beginning of time, we've tried to go back to religion. We, whenever we have an insecure moment with God, we always go back to religion. Look, who's ever sinned in here? About eight, ten, that's good. Alright, so we all sin, we all sin, we're all sinners, just in case you didn't know you're a sinner, it's all good. Um, Jesus loves you and he died for you. Alright, uh, listen. But what I've done in my life is I'll sin, I'll look at this, I'll do that, I've done this, I've said that. And what I do is I say, well, God, I, oh, I, I run away from God. I isolate myself from God, and I say I have to go pray for three hours, and i got to read 17 chapters and for, over the next two or three days. In three or four days, God might not be so mad at me, and I come back into his presence. That's how we do sin. Right, that's how, I mean, you might not, but that's me. I mean, wh- that's how the church works in that way, but we're called to come to him. What this shows, and this is why I'm preaching this message tonight, is it shows a lack of understanding about the gospel, and it's an epidemic in the church, and the church is never going to be effective in what God is calling them to do in building the kingdom until they're sure their father loves them, until they're sure they're sons and daughters. Because I promise you, my son's never going to be secure in his last name of Paige until I give him my affirmation as a father. He's never going to be sure of himself in the world until I give him my affirmation as a father. The reason we struggle with assurance in our salvation is because we still think we have some sort of thing to do or some some sort of goodness to attain before we'll be accepted. But Christ is just like, man, I've done all it takes for you to be accepted. Just walk into my presence. Just come and spend time with me. Gospel literacy is so important in our age, guys, because it's so important to the effectiveness of the church. And Satan knows this, and he he attacks it at your heart. If we understood what we were saved from and what we were saved for, we would be unstoppable. I told you before we began this service, That I believe with all my heart that the moment I walked in this place, that God has given uh, Pastor Kyle and this body something very special to do in this city. Something that you're not going to believe if you would give yourself over to it. And I'm telling you right now, without an understanding of your place and your position in Christ, you'll never take that next step because you'll be too scared. Because it'll be on you and not on Him. It's about Him and what He does in you not on you and what you do for him. Okay? That's what we need to hear tonight as we're doing that. And John is trying to show his audience, the church, that God has removed the guilt. Who, who would be great with a guilt-free life? And guess what? You got, you got it. In Christ, you got it. It's there. It's for, it's for the taking. There's no charge left against you if you're in Christ. And tonight, I know there's someone that needs to hear that Jesus loves them in that fashion, man. It's not if you prayed a prayer it's not if you've been baptized or if you serve at the church or you give or you lead worship. or It's none of those things. The question is, have you become a new creation? Has the old gone and the new come? Look at your neighbor and say, can you see the new creation in me? Can you see that in me? If they can't, then let's talk. Let's have a question. Let's have a conversation. Can you see that new creation coming alive in me? Is there fruit in your life? Look, turn to the person next to you when you're on the way home say, Hey man, can you see the fruit of Christ in my life? Can you see Him working Himself out of me? Right, ask those questions a lot in these circles. Is there an abiding that associates you with the Father, a drawing that, that you can't explain, that He just keeps pulling you in? Do you understand what you've been saved from so that you can understand what you've been saved for so that you can be effective in serving and building up the church of God and also building the kingdom out there? The links that Jesus went to to save you, just to save you, just so they might have a chance. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinning, Christ died for us. Let me say that one more time. Listen, while we were still in our sin, Christ made a way just in case we might want to come back. Before we were born, he was chopping down a trail, making sure we had a pathway to come back to the Father. He was making a way when when he didn't need to make a way. He was making a way just in case you wanted to come back. That's a loving father out there. I would do it for my son and my daughter. He didn't die for us to be comfortable. He died for us to get out of our comfort zone and be led by him. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're coming to Christ to have a comfortable life, your comfort zone's out the door at this point, okay? Because he's going to ask you to do things that aren't Comfortable for you because he's never asked you to do it. He's asked for his presence inside of you to be used in you to do it. That's what it's about, man. But, but let me tell you, he didn't die for the, the comfortable. He, he died for you to be brought back from your sins, to be restored back to him as a faithful image bearer. If you look back at Genesis, we were called to be image bearers to the world, to take the glory of God to the ends of the earth. That's why I love any time the church talks about missions. We're called to take God's glory, which is on us through his image, to the end of the earth and share the good news of the gospel with the people who don't know the gospel. I follow a website, the Joshua Project. If you don't know it, go check it out. It talks about the unreached people groups of the world. The, the unreached people group of the world today were from Yemen, and they have 0% Christians in that country. 0 that means nobody has access to the gospel, nobody knows Jesus, there's not a church, there's not a Christian down the street, there's nothing, there's not even a cross. There's nothing there that represents Christ. That should break our hearts. We're saved from our sin so that we can be His hands and feet in those places. In the places downtown where there's homeless and places where you guys go and serve every week. There's, in those places, that's why we're called from our sin into new life in Christ. We're called to be be raised again, just like Christ was, in our spirit. But so many people still think salvation is about them. Christ, I got saved when I was eight, and I did did this, and I did that. And that's when we have to start from a place and understand that's where insecurity runs rampant. And that's where kingdom effectiveness goes to die, when you start thinking salvation was about you. Effectiveness for the kingdom dies at that point. It dies. But assurance in security and salvation, what it does is it creates humility. It creates confidence. It creates confidence in who you are in Christ. It creates humility in a place where you're able to understand that you're, you're, you're nothing without him. And it creates confidence in eternity that no matter what, I know what my place is. It's with the Father whether I live or die. It doesn't matter because my place is with the Father. That's why Paul was like to live as Christ and to die as game. These juggers didn't know what to do with Paul. They were like, you know, they were like, we're not going to kill him. He's, he's, we're going to put him in the house arrest. Okay, he was like, well, to live is Christ. we well, was like, no, we're going to kill him. Oh, to die is game. What do you do with somebody like that? You know what I mean? You couldn't do anything to this dude. That's the, That life we're called to live. No matter what, we're called to follow Christ in all things. Confidence in life, humility in life, and confidence and humility even to the point of death. And most of all, continue to have confidence to walk out the kingdom purposes we were created for. It's about the kingdom being built. And until we stop being competitive with other churches and other ministries and other people's giftings, we'll never see the kingdom built. Ever. It'll never happen. And it's so funny because so you talk to so many churches and they'll, they'll agree with that, but they'll turn around and be competitive. And it's like, well, that's, that's y'all's thing. Or this is our thing. No, it's our thing, man. We're called to reach this city for the kingdom. But the only way to experience this is through assurance, through security in our salvation. Because if I have security in my salvation, I'm not going to care if Kyle is better a better preacher than me. I'm not going to care if we're not going to be in combat with each other. We're going to be encouraging one another to see the kingdom come and his will be done. That's what it's about. And a lot of people will nod their heads in agreements with this stuff. But it hasn't affected the way that we pursue the knowledge of God that's revealed in the gospel at a large scale. And Hosea 4, 6 says, My people perish from lack of knowledge. We're still trying to do better. We're still trying to find time to read our Bibles. We're still trying to find time to pray. Guys, if we're still trying to find time to pray and spend time with God and still trying to find time to read our Bibles, we've barely begun. It's time to get past the elementary things of those of those moments. We're meant to pursue Him. We're meant to seek Him. Jeremiah 29, 13. We're familiar with Jeremiah 29, 11, but two verses over says, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And my question to myself as I look in the mirror, Michael, have you ever sought me with all your heart? What does that mean? Seeking God with all my heart. All the stops are gone. I'm seeking Him with everything I've got. I'm going at it with everything I have. Without, without Him, I'm nothing. And what else? This is my big question for you tonight. And for me too, it's, it's all of us. What else do we need to know before we start obeying what we already know? Are we looking for that next word to, to, to start obeying what we already know? We know what we're supposed to be doing as believers. We know where we're supposed to be going to the ends of the earth, and starting in Savannah. We know we're supposed to be making disciples. That was Jesus' last command. Who are you discipling? We know we're meant to be calling others to come to Christ. We know we're meant to be sharing Christ, even when it's uncomfortable. We know those things, but are we doing it? Are we still waiting on the big thing? Are we still waiting on Kyle to call you to be leading a group? Are you doing the small things and making disciples every day? We're called to make disciples. This right here is why I want to encourage you guys to get plugged in. Into this community. If you're not plugged in here, get plugged in. Get into a small group. Small groups are where you Grow. Small groups are huge. Get to into, get into some discipleship. Get into a place where you're able to grow. Because obedience doesn't just happen. You don't just all of a sudden one day, oh, I'm obedient. Great, let's go be a, No, obedience is, obedience is cultivated. You, you set yourself up for obedience by a decision you make today for next week. You're being obedient. It's putting yourself in the presence of God and, and, and fellow brothers or sisters that you're walking out who can hold you accountable, who you can walk alongside of and see the kingdom come in this place. But one of the main reasons why we struggle with this so much is because of the opposite of assurance and it's condemnation. You're still believing a lie that Satan's told you about your past that God's already forgot about, that you've already asked forgiveness for 20 times, that he's moved moved past, he's he's gone. It's because we devote so much time thinking about all that Christ has to do still in my heart. and so little time thinking about all the things he's already done. He's already done so much in my life but I still think about all the things he has yet to do. Our security issues aren't caused by a lack of Jesus. He's full. He, he, he's taking care of all the security issues. They're caused by a lack of seeking him, a lack of faith in him, a, a lack of, of what we're trying to do in other, other than seeking him. It's, it's, it's trying to find our identity in him. That's what it's about. And we've allowed Satan to come in and define us by our shortcomings and our sin. We've allowed him to define us by those things and he's taken us out of the game spiritually and we've willingly jumped on to this hamster wheel of trying to earn our way back to God because we feel worthy enough for anything. We try to do more, make more money. We try to, we try to love our wife more. We try to, all those things are great things, but if I'm just doing them gains God affection or gain more affection in the pastor's eyes, I'm doing it for the wrong reason. It's understanding who you are in Christ. And when we believe those lies that Satan pitches to us and we start following at a distance, we start isolating ourselves, guess where that brings us back to? It puts us back smack dab in the middle of Matthew 7. And I don't want anybody in this place to leave here in that place tonight. This is not what Jesus died for. This is not what he died for. Jesus died on the cross for us. He did not. Jesus did not die on the cross for us to live a nominal Christian life on the sidelines of our faith. He did not do that. He did not, not die on a cross for us to warm a seat on a Saturday night. He didn't die on a cross for us to aimlessly wander through life for 80 years with a distance association with God. He did not die for those things. Jesus died to pave a way back to the Father so that we can have confidence, assurance, and security because of what He's done, and we can stand before the Father now with boldness because of what He's done. And when we realize what we're saved from, we see the hugeness of our sin. It motivates us to start living on purpose. We'll start calling Kyle, hey, Kyle, what can I do, man? I know you need some help. What can I do for you? I'll do anything. You know anybody needs a disciple, and I would love to disciple. I need some discipleship. Hey, when we going to feed the hunger again, What can we do this? i, I got to serve my God because he's loved me to the point of death. Guys, we're in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. We're meant to be, be lights. A light shining in the darkness is what the Bible says what Jesus was. And we're called to be his, we're called to be his, his co-heirs in that. We're called to, to shine lights in the darknesses of our community, to the world, to spread his glory to the ends of the earth. But we can't do that until we place our hope and our faith completely in him. And if you're a Christian in this place, and we're done here in two seconds, if you're a Christian or a disciple in this place, you were saved from your sin for a purpose. You are saved from your sin for a purpose. Live in that. Live in that. Everything else is just a cheap imitation. Everything else you're seeking, I don't care if you're 5 or 95 in here tonight, it's time to stop playing games with our faith. It's time to get real with the Father. It's time to repent where we've been wrong. And it's time to take our, our stuff and pick it up and get in the game. Because God has placed you here in this time, in this culture, in this church for a specific purpose. And he wants to use you to do mighty things for the kingdom. I don't care where you're at in life. God can pick you up and put you back on the path that he's called you to do. And I'm telling you tonight, it's not over. The game's not over. It's still going. And even halftime. It might be halftime. I don't know. But it's, it's not over. I'll tell you that right now. Let's finish with Ephesians 2, the, path, the, the good news. Verse 4, it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. That's good. That's good news, guys. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, and if you don't, go home and get them. Underline those words, made us alive. I want you to realize what that means. He called something that was dead, and raised it to life. Jesus' resurrection, not only, he was not only raised from the he raised you from the dead as well. You have the access to that now, right now. He's raised you from the dead. And it's easy to get excited in worship. It's easy to get excited when things are hopping. But when I read scriptures like this, my heart race. This is amazing. He made me alive with Christ. What in the world is this about? This is amazing. The word of God coming alive here. And God raised us up with Christ, circle that one, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming age he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. You're receiving something you do not deserve through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork. I don't care what the person has called you. God has created you with, with, he's fashioned you with a perfect plan. You're his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. And when you find your identity in the one who's created you, it changes everything. It changes everything. Your perspective Changes in everything the way you view the world the way you view everything changes and that's what some of you in here tonight need to hear is that Jesus loves you and you need a perspective change in here it's time to move our eyes away from self and onto him when God gives you a new heart he restores and renews your spirit he's not just doing it for your sake he's doing it so his name can be made great through your life he's a God who deserves glory He's the God who wants all the glory. He's the God who deserves it and needs it. There's no man in this room that deserves any sort of glory. Zero. And his glory is the centerpiece for all that God wants to do through us. We're not a Christian for your well-being. You're not a Christian so that I can just have a good life. You're a Christian so that your life can look like Christ and the world can see Christ in us. And so I want to leave you with a couple of questions. Is What does your life say about Christ? What does your life say about Christ? Does he say he's just a, a good guy that gave you, you know, death on, a, death on a cross? Or where are you at? Where are you at? this? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you understand your salvation? My other question is earlier I asked you some questions. Is do you know Jesus? Because when you know my Father, when you know my Savior, you don't look the same anymore. I heard a pastor tell a story one time that says coming, coming in contact with Jesus is like coming in contact with a Mack truck. You can't come in contact with Jesus and say, hey, you look the same. Just like you can't come in contact with a Mack truck and look the same. Does that make sense? You get that? Okay, you might, you'll get it when you get home. Do you know Jesus or do you just have an association with Jesus? Do you see the difference? Do you know him? Are you just a, yeah, I love Jesus. He's a good guy. What he did was great, but I haven't accepted it for myself. Are you a fan or are you a follower? It's a great book. Check it out. A fan or a follower? A fan, I know all the, I know all the stats. I know who he is. I, I can tell you what he looks like. I can tell you what he loves. I can tell you what color jersey they're wearing. I can tell you all this stuff. But do I know his heart? A follower knows the heart of Jesus. A follower spends times in his presence. And I want to share with us tonight we may all be saved in here. We may all not be. I don't know your heart. God does. But anytime time you hear the gospel, that's what you just heard, a response is required. And anytime time you hear the gospel, guess who's present? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and the gospel are never separated. Look in Scripture. It's in there. And so if God has been speaking to your heart tonight, whether it's, hey, I need salvation. I thought I knew who Jesus was, but I don't. I, we want to pray with you. Kyle, I would love to pray with you about that, I'm sure. If you say, hey, you know what? I I need to repent, man. I haven't been living my life to this point. I haven't been walking this out in my life. I've been living a nominal lifestyle. When God has gone all the way for me, I've only gone halfway. And I want to change that. Come lay it down right here. Come do that. I would love to pray with you. Kyle, I'm not sure you have a prayer. We would love to pray with you. But I just want to pray and then... Um, we'll do that so Father God I love you I thank you for who you are I thank you for this time tonight that you've given us to just uh, to honor you and to love you Father and just to lift your name high God I just praise you for who you are I praise you for your son I praise you for the for the sacrifice that you gave to make a way for me back to you God I thank you God that you didn't leave me as an orphan I thank you God that you sought me out God Father I pray that I would live my life worthy of that call God I pray that we would live our lives as a church worthy of that call that we would see our city saved God, we would see the darkness leave this place. God, we would push back against the darkness. God, we would just see prophecy. We would see evangelism come alive. God, we would see healing in this town. God, the hearts of these people would just be restored. God, we love you. I pray for salvations in this town, God, in this city, in this county. I pray for a great uniting of the church. God, I pray that your heart would just be in our hearts. God, we love you. God, we just ask all this in Jesus'